So just know, you know, reading a little bit about cinnamon and now knowing you, I think that school worked. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of the Strongly Worded Podcast. I am Sue O'Lear. And I am Johnny Hampton. And we are recording on a Monday evening. We've set a vibe here in the dining room studio. Yeah. Recording at a different time. And uh, we have a very special guest. Um, and I will. we will certainly talk about a lot of the uh, professional aspects of her life that we want to talk about. You know that are going to be the focus of our interview, but I need to introduce her as someone that uh, is from. We're from the same hometown. Uh, we were Walker Walkers together, which is the yes. elementary school where we met. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. uh, we went to elementary, middle school, and part of high school together. I think you moved yeah. when we were just before we graduated. Mm-hmm. Is that yep, correct? That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you might know her as Cinnamon Love. Welcome yes. to the Strongly Worded Podcast. Yay, thank Our you. Our most famous guest ever. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. So that's exciting. season two is about community. And mm-hmm. when um, we, how Johnny and I kind of started out, the arc of the season was talking about our hometowns and the effect our hometowns had on who we are, who we've become, and mm-hmm. kind of the ways that we are affecting our communities where we live now. And it was impossible to consider that topic without reaching out to you um, because we are from the same place and we do have a lot of the same influences, but have um, those have evolved with us in in very different ways. So um, I know you as former classmate and uh like i said walker walker but you are um a cancer survivor you Mm -hmm. are a mother and grandmother Mm -hmm. you are an activist and you are a community organizer Mm -hmm. you are uh and if i use wrong terms please educate me but you are uh, a professional in the adult entertainment industry Mm -hmm. yes 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 um, and you are our guest tonight, and yes. uh, thank you for being here with us. Oh, thank you. I'm that's so one glad. hell of a re- that's one hell of a resume right there. Yeah, it, <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> it is. It is definitely. Um, it's my pleasure, um, Sue. When you reached out to me, I was like, yeah, of course. Like without even knowing what the podcast was about, because. Um, we do come from the same place, and we did we did start off in life with very similar, um, you know, values based on our education, um, you know, opportunities that were afforded to us that a lot of other people our age did not get, who did not go to Walker. Um, should we talk about Walker? Yeah, should let's we talk a little bit about what let's Walker about was? That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Walker Learning Center was the elementary school. Learning Center? That's what it was called. Oh, boy. Learning Center. Yeah. Yeah. And I started at the school uh, even 
Yeah, I think you and I met in fifth grade, but I started, mm-hmm. I think, in third or fourth grade because they had a part-time program. You went one day a week yep. for the Academically Talented program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then... I, I started, um, I went in the first grade for like one day a week for the academically talented program. Mm-hmm. And so and so we should we should preface this by saying that Walker was like an experiment that was like a partnership with General Motors and the school district of Flint. And so what they would do is one day a week the gifted kids from all the schools would go to Walker for their academically talented program and then if they decided you were a good fit academically they would invite you to attend full time mm-hmm. so i think i think we started right around the same time like, i mean i started a year before you i started in second in second grade okay. um but i did my my one day a week program in the first grade and mm-hmm. it was definitely a whole different experience it was so than, wait a minute than you anybody got... else had so you guys were auditioning for the school? Um, yeah, one one day a week sorta. you would get yeah, one day a week mm-hmm. you would get bused from your school. Like oh. and this was all all of the schools in the entire city. So it was like every elementary school mm-hmm. participated in this program where they'd take the smartest kids mm-hmm. from each class and you would go to the school <laughs> one day a week just for you know, to, to see and you would get graded. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, but it was like a day full of electives, you know. Mm-hmm. Like so, it, so you weren't doing mm-hmm. math. Well, we we were doing math, but we it was did. sort of disguised as rocketry Other, for yeah, you know, you know yep. like a kind of like I, I, I liken <laughs> it to the STEM program that they have at Wadsworth, similar <laughs> but different. I went to public school twenty four and we had to go five <laughs> days a week. <laughs> like, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, it was well. They were they were trying to develop engineers at mm. that age. Like so, everything that we did was really geared. It was a gifted magnet program, but everything mm-hmm. we did was really geared towards seeing if they could create engineers from the ground up. So you know, like if we were studying, I don't know. Isaac Asimov, this is my middle school, like if you were doing like as Isaac Asimov in science class, you know, in English class, you were building model rockets in your right. science class, like, right. and studying, you know, astro- astronomy, like, and our grade school was the same way, like we mm-hmm. really did, we had a TV show, we had a TV we station, a TV we had a TV class. station in the fifth uh-huh. grade, yeah. <laughs> or do you remember doing mini society, like the big, yes, like, Kudos yes. of, the, of the year was doing yes. a mini society where we created a currency and businesses and, and businesses business so, in the classroom, and we'd classroom. have to go around and you'd spend <laughs> money and you'd figure out like where if your if your yes. business was based in this part of the school, wow. you know, the classroom, the and you might grade. make more money because of the location. Yeah, it was like a city planning class. Like, it really was. So yeah. now. I know, I know Sue. And, and binary, Sue. we learned we learned binary also. What in the world? Yeah. We were using print so, shop, like all the things. <laughs> about print shop. Oh my gosh. How, so how many people do you guys still keep in touch with from that school? I not really. I mean, not really. Handful, but really only on, like on with Facebook. so many things because of Facebook, because of social media. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't. So like, so just know, you know, reading a little bit about cinnamon. And now, knowing you, I think that school worked. <laughs> no, and the reason yeah. I say that, the reason I say that is because you guys, 
you know, you both think outside of the box mm -hmm. when it comes to certain things, mm -hmm. and you have an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. Both of you, just, you, both of you do. Mm -hmm. So that thing, that experiment, I think worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now, I you, think you it, didn't become an engineer, but right. But, but we we learned to engineer our lives. Yes, you know, and in ways that we might not have otherwise, and and also because of the way that gifted magnet programs were in the late seventies, early eighties. You know, we wound up being the gifted kids in the in junior high, and then we were the gifted mm -hmm. kids in high school. Like, you know what I mean? We Same. we got a chance. Yeah. We were we were all we followed each other as mm -hmm. we went along our way. Um, yeah. And yeah. and most of our high schools are gone now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of the high yeah. schools in, in Flint don't even exist anymore. Right. Which um, is really crazy. Yeah, it is really crazy. It's crazy. Have you seen some of those? Posts on Facebook where they take the video or photos walking through the halls of Central High School. No, oh, I'll find one. I want to see that. I'll, I'll dig it up and I'll send yeah. it to you because it's that, beautiful and heartbreaking all at the same time to see mm, what the inside of the that's, school. That's that's like. one of the interesting things too. Like a, you know to uh, to think about the way that we went to school is that we had um, our our math and science was at Northern. Mm -hmm. for a lot of us and then yeah. our our social studies and english were at right. and humanities history program. humanities yeah. program were at central mm -hmm. um so we were traveling like northern was in i lived i grew up on the north side of flint but uh central was more closer to downtown and it was mm -hmm. like it was in a better neighborhood <laughs> right so yeah. of course the humanities program was in the better neighborhood mm -hmm. um <laughs> <laughs> with, with the real, with the, the real theater. library, no, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was it was a really. Uh, I always tell the stories about growing up when people ask me about how you know where I grew up and what it was like. How you know because people always want to know my backstory and to find out that I'm from Flint and you know of course everybody knows Flint to be three mm. things: the water crisis. Mm -hmm. um, you know, poverty mm -hmm. and General Motors. Like, that's all mm -hmm. they know about about Flint. And um, when I tell people the stories, like, about, you know, what my life was was like growing up, um, it's so – it's – a lot of people are surprised because mm -hmm. they just don't know. Um, really. They, I mean, they Flint know. is just a statistic to so many people or a pile of statistics mm -hmm. to so many mm -hmm. people. And it was really this – even, mm -hmm. even, you know, like you were saying, even in the eighties, even, you know, when the industry and the business there started to change, there were so many aspects of it that were so still vibrant and cutting edge and, yeah. and unlike any uh, a place lot else. Of places. Mm -hmm. I remember, um, going to the riverfront to mm -hmm. like, you know, like with my mom or my grandmother to like, listen to jazz, like, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? On the yeah. riverfront. Absolutely. And, um, and then of course, like the, you know, we had the the Art Institute, the Music mm -hmm. Institute of Flint. Like when I tell people that that Flint has an international airport, they're, they're like, they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so, it's true. But I mean, it's you true. know, doing theater, it's that true. Flint Youth Theater Program. Mm -hmm. Aside from what we did at Central, which was amazing, but that Youth Theater Program, mm -hmm. I, I don't know anybody else who really who. Did what I did for all those years in a place like Flint Youth Theater. I mean, it was such yeah. a. I thought every place was like that. Yeah, I mean, I I took dance classes um, 
you know, at one of the, at, at, I think it was like the music, either it was probably the theater between the, from mm-hmm. the theater center. Um, yeah. But we took like, I took, you know, all the things, ballet, mm-hmm. tap, modern jazz, hula. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> hula. Hula. Yes, hula on your bio. Um. <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you, not every place is like Flint. Yeah, I, guess, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I, I mean, Flint. You know, what, so Flint was created um, really out of necessity, right? I, and I always tell the story because, you know, when they started, when they ran out of places to put the you know zoned places to put factories in Detroit right uh-huh. they put them you know they put them in this small community and um and then they started to build townhouses because they didn't want workers to be traveling from Detroit 60 you know 60 minutes or 60 miles uh-huh. into Flint during the dead of winter because the winters can be really brutal and so like i remember there was a time when the Flint Journal i believe was was run by General Motors, and mm-hmm. and Sue, you could you can mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but I I'm almost positive that our newspaper was General was General Motors run at one point, mm-hmm. like I, in the seventies. I have the same memory. Yep, I do. I have okay, the same yeah, memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a so it was a, it was a really vibrant place, and then also because Flint is there's a lot. Flint has its own townships, and there's a lot of. There's a lot of farmland like uh, that was around Flint growing up. So, you know, I was really fortunate. Like my grandparents, they had a six-acre farm in in, Mount, in Clio, well, outside of Clio in Montrose. And so I, you know, I also, in addition to having this really crazy education, I got a chance to spend a lot of time, you know, picking beans mm-hmm. and riding mm-hmm. horses and going fishing and doing those kinds of things also um yeah i mean that you don't think of is that you you don't think of no no because i'm not from there and i didn't know any of that Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah so my dad uh was uh the company that he worked for was a supplier to general motors how um how was your family tied to gm Mm. my my dad my stepdad, um, my grand, both of my grandfathers, and at least one of my uncles I, that I that I can remember all worked for General Motors. Um, I had an aunt who worked for AC Spark Plugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I had another aunt who worked for Pontiac. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a GM girl, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm a GM kid, and. Uh, and also, my I have a brother currently who works for General Motors, mm-hmm. or he works in a factory. Uh, I'm not sure if it's General Motors, but he works in in a factory. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I have a really, you know, that's that's how I, I grew up around and, the the shop. And so when you and I connected on the phone a couple weeks ago, um, you know, one of the things that we kind of laughed about was, well, of course. Of course, you're a community organizer. Of course, yeah. you know this is who we are because this is where yep. we're from. It's mm-hmm. uh, a, a union town. Yep. Yeah, and and not like you know an industrial union town like you think of in movies. Like Flint was, you know, was a middle class was a middle class community growing mm-hmm. up. You yeah. know, it was a it was all working class middle class people with 
you know, with two cars and the dog and a cat and 3.5 kids. Mm -hmm. That was how we grew up, right? Even if you, even if you didn't have, I mean, I really didn't know people who were really poor. Mm -hmm. Like when, when I think of what, what I think of now as being poor, I didn't really know that in the, in the seventies and eighties growing up in Flint. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, yep, a, a I would lot, agree with that too. A lot's changed, but mm-hmm. but back then it was super vibrant. I mean, when my parents moved into um, our home in, on the north side, it the neighborhood was predominantly white, and we were one of the first black families to move in over there. Um, I remember my Girl Scout leader lived across the street. I wound up join. I wound up joining their Girl Scout troop, which, mm-hmm. by the way. So, um, would you, I know that this is audio and so your guests will not be able to see this, but would you like to see my Girl Scout mm-hmm. sash? Yes, from, I would very much. Yes. Wait, you still have it? Uh-huh. I got it from my mom's attic okay. this last summer. <laughs> okay. <gasps> wow. She kept Look it. At that. She kept that Look in great that. shape. Now, now what this, were your badges for? So this, these zeros and ones, that was for learning binary. That was mm-hmm. your computer badge. And this one was for um, government. Um, wow. This is, this is uh, so, some sort of science. I think it's either science or debate. I'm not sure. And, of course, swimming because we had to do the mm-hmm. polar bear swim. Mm-hmm. That's and right. Break is, the stereotypes. Yep. And, this, and, and then we have another one for learning how to swim, right, for buddy <laughs> swims. And then also I got one for track. Oh, wow. Which was weird because why was we running track? And then, of course, I have my I got my three uh-huh. years in the brownies and then I bridged yeah. to juniors. And these oh, I were remember those stars. These were the ju- all of the junior stars. I got three years mm-hmm. as a junior and I don't remember what this one was. Um, he was heavy in the Girl Scouts. I was heavy in the Girl Scouts. Wait, wait, wait. So this is my five year pin, oh, my, my five year pin. And this was this was our the rose was mm-hmm. our symbol, and this was the Fairwinds Girl Scout Council, which doesn't mm-hmm. even exist anymore. And uh, my cookie patches. Oh my gosh! I'm an You're OG. Growing me so far back. I'm I an OG. Can't. Yep, there we go. Oh you know, my gosh! Had those 200 plus badges, like you know. So. That is amazing. <laughs> That's I awesome. I had to share. I had to share. Yeah. I love but it. But yeah. Um, shout yeah. shout to your mom for keeping that so pristine. Yeah, I mean, she had my Girl Scout, we were clearing out 40 years worth of stuff out of the attic, and mm-hmm. she had my Girl Scout uniform from, oh when I was, from when I was 10, and I threw it away. She was like, don't you want to take it home? I'm like, no, I don't want to take it home. There's, She's like, it would be cute if you could get a mannequin. I was like, no, we're throwing this yeah. away. So, but I kept, <laughs> but, but I did, I kept the, I kept the sash because this was a really, you know, this was a piece of my, of my life. Uh-huh. Like this was how I spent many years of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was actually, a lot of people don't know, I was actually the first, the first year I did overnight Girl Scout camp at the Fairwinds Girl Scout, mm-hmm. uh, the, the big Fairwinds camp. Um, I was the only black girl there. And like for the whole summer, I was the only black girl Mm -hmm. there. And then later I had got, like I had, I was in a a black troop, brownie troop before, 
Um, and I actually have, I actually brought something else home. I brought home a newspaper clipping from when we were at, when I was at Gundry before I went to Walker <laughs> of us in our, I was in my brownie uniform and we were singing Christmas carols at a senior citizen center. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Clara to, and there was like, and it was like South, you know, probably, and it was like a Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. It was so cute. I brought it home. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was really important to me because it's like, you know, these are, yeah, I, I was the first black, my, the black brownie troop that I was in, we only did did day camp we would go out for mm-hmm. like a day you know or for or for like two weeks or something like that um during the day and then we would come home but we wouldn't stay mm-hmm. the night and then the first year that i joined this white troop i wound up staying the staying you for were the like, whole what is summer this nonsense yeah it was, it was really wild i also found a, a a postcard my mom sent me while i was away at camp and it was like I opened it up. Like as soon as I saw it, I knew what it was because it was like this Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog stationery. And when I and when I when I opened it up, it was like her letter to me telling me what was going on. And then and my mom, you know, like apparently my mom was like a writer, and you know, like it was like very very descriptive. It was like the grass is cut is the grass is mowed and the and the dogs are outside. And I'm like, look at mom. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was so cute because like at the end she told me to like to make sure I oiled my scalp. Nice. Very, Sounds very, like a black mom. Very black mom. Right? <laughs> like, yes. Oh man, my wife will tell my daughter, "Are you moisturizing your scalp?" <laughs> <laughs> Flagler United is a new kind of travel basketball experience for male and female athletes ages 8 to 18 here in Flagler County and beyond. For kids looking for quality coaching, ethical mentorship, competitive play, and a sense of unity in the community, look no further than Flagler United. To learn more about the program, check out their videos on Facebook and Instagram or visit flaglerunited.org. Tryouts are happening now for our summer season. And if you or your business is looking for a great sponsorship opportunity, Flagler United would love to work with you. Please email Coach Johnny at flaglerunited at gmail.com and he'll give you all the details. Flagler United. Together we play. United we ball. But, but yeah, I mean, growing up in Flint and having those, and no, nobody else that I knew in my neighborhood, like, had the kind of experiences that I had either, mm-hmm. because I had the privilege of going to Walker, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, you know, it was actually kind of weird, because, you know, I was bussed out, and mm-hmm. and we had long days at, mm-hmm. at Walker. We did. We were doing, like, eight to five Mm-hmm. Or some craziness like Close that. Like to it. Yeah. it was like really crazy, and then you'd and then you'd be bust out, and then you'd come back. So by the time I came home, the kids in my neighborhood were all like having dinner. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then I had like three hours of homework or mm-hmm. four hours of homework. You know, I was like, I was. It was a long day. Mm-hmm. Um, but wow, what great, what great memories to have yeah. and be able to share that. Absolutely. So yeah, thank you. So let's. Let's move forward then. So you mm-hmm. left Flint, what, like our junior year? Um, Sophomore, junior year? I left Flint 
um, my sophomore year, I moved to LA. Um, I had an aunt and nah. uncle. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like a jump. Um, yeah, that's a big change. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so I met one of my aunts and uncles when I was 13, and they realized that I was really like taking care of my brothers, right? I was the oldest girl in the house. I had three younger brothers. My mom was in, was in, was in college. She was back in college. My dad was working for GM, my stepdad, and I was like taking care of the boys. So I was getting them up in the morning, dropping them at day, dropping the two younger ones at daycare, dropping off the other one at, at, at Merrill Elementary School, and then I'd get on the bus right outside of his school and I'd, and I'd go across town to go to school. And so, um, and it's again that I'd come home and I'd do it all over again, you know, and I'm like making dinner. I was like, I was, I was, I was like helping to raise my brothers, you know, mm-hmm. as, as happens in working class families. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so one of my aunts, uh, my aunt Robbie, who lives in LA, she convinced my mom to let me come live with them for a year because she was like, Oh, if she likes it, then she can, you know, if she stays for a year, she establishes residency. She can go to college in California. Mm-hmm. So that's how she got me out of, out of raising kids, right? She was like, let me, <laughs> let me take her and come, you know, come stay with uh-huh. me and the girls because I was in the household boys, right? Mm-hmm. And I have sisters, but like they live with my dad and then I, you know, have sisters, that, I have sisters all over the place. So we, um, so my, I got a chance to, I got a chance to move and I mm-hmm. went to LA. I fell in love with it and met a boy uh-huh. and was uh-huh. like, this is it. Uh-huh. Oh boy. Uh-huh. I got, I got exposed to K-Day and um, radio and hip hop, mm-hmm. and my whole world changed. And no, then, let's back up for let's back up for a second. Like, mm-hmm. did you want to move? Yeah, I was all about it. I was like, yeah, let's yeah. go. Mm-hmm. I have so so so. One of the other things about living in Flint is that um, I actually I actually had a relative amount of freedom, right? Like, well, I I didn't have freedom, but I found ways to ways to carve it out, right? So, you know, for people who are my, you know, who grew up in the 80s who are listening, they'll understand, like, your parents are working, you find ways to get out and do shit that you're not supposed to be doing, right? So of my course. Best, so my best friend and I, because both of our parents were divorced and remarried, like, she would spend her weekends at her dad's house, and I would spend my weekends at my dad's house, and so we, and the dads were, like, not really paying attention, so she would come over, I'd go to her house, and we'd go out. So we would, you know, we'd go to like this guy's house, you know, apartment that she's hanging out with who, you know, had his roommate was a DJ at a club and now we're in the bar, like, you know, like at, mm-hmm. at 14, you know, mm-hmm. at 14, 15. So I was like, we, we, we would take off and go to Chicago to listen mm-hmm. to Louis Vega DJ and nobody would know we were even gone, you know, like we were, we were like, you know, we were nerdy girls and we had straight A's and we were in the gifted magnet program, but we were like, all this shit is too much. We I need know. to find a good cover. For yeah, it was like, fun, right? yeah. yeah, it was a good, it was a good cover. And so like, I was already, I already had an adventurous spirit. I was already like, let me just, I just want to get out because, you know, as much, you know, part of being in this kind of rigorous academic setting, um, and also growing up in like really super religious families, it's like there's which you often find in these kinds of like union towns, right? It's like uh-huh. people believe in the you know it's there's there's three things a stable job god country 
family. Mm-hmm. Like, like those are, you know what I'm saying? Like, those are the things. And so we, you know, it was, it was, you almost had to rebel because you didn't get the freedom that you would have had if you weren't quite as smart. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's fucked up to say, but it's like the way that we treat kids based on their ability to succeed on certain things, right? So the football players, we don't give a fuck about their grades and they can go out and they can drink and they can do this and they can do, you know, whatever because that's going to be their lane. Like, do you know what I mean? And the other folks, we have to keep them and their bodies and their minds very clear because that's going to be their lane and that's how we're raised, Mm -hmm. how, how kids are raised. And so, unfortunately... So we were already like out in the, we were in the streets. We mm-hmm. were in the streets. I was by the time I hit high school and I jumped around a little bit. I went to Northwestern for a while. You know, I, there was a guy that would pick we would leave school both of us. He was on the football team. We'd leave school on the moped <laughs> and take off and go to his mom's house while she was at work. Like, do you know what I'm saying? But so mm-hmm. by the time my aunt was like, "Do you want to come to LA?" I was like, "Hell yes." I don't have to take I don't have to take care of nobody's kids that I didn't have like you know what I mean it was like I'm yeah. with it give me some freedom some real freedom so that mm-hmm. I don't have to like hide on the three way to be able to talk to a boy that I'm talking to like do you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying so um so yeah I definitely I was I was with it mm-hmm. I was with it uh, and I you, yeah go ahead I'm laughing at the hide on the three way because I I remember when I was uh, I was a kid I used to call a girl and you, she Someone else would call her first, mm-hmm. and then she'd have to, I'd call, and then she'd click the call waiting and cut the friend yeah. off, and then we'd, the parents would think <laughs> that she's talking to her girlfriend. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Absol- absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it was like, for me, like, I, it was too, it, it wasn't in my nature to not be who I was. Like, I knew from an early age who I was as a person, and a lot of that had to do with the early educational experiences that mm-hmm. I had, right? So it's mm-hmm. like when I got a chance to start reading and, and you're, when you're feeding, you know, a young woman like both Toni Morrison and E.E. E. Cummings and, you know, and the the Odyssey and, you know, and Anais Nin, like mm-hmm. when you're feeding these young impressionable, impressionable brains all of these things, you know that there's something bigger than the drill team. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it's like there's there's something there's something more out there. And so the opportunity to like and, you know, I had family in Chicago and stuff, but but the opportunity to travel to L.A., um, I knew that I wanted to I knew I wanted to explore that and having a safe way to do that was that was that was with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I only stayed a year and then I came back. And then I was like, I got to get out of here. And I, and I, I was, I was like, my mom wanted me to come back and I, I came back and I couldn't do it. I stayed for like, uh, a year, a year and a half. Did you graduate left... from Central? No. Or from um, nor- a Flint school? Northern, from Northern. Yeah, actually I left in October of my, um, senior year. My mom threw me out cause we were, I was going to clubs and stuff and you know, we, well, we had, a, once you're we had, out, once, once you go you're out, out something you like move to LA for you, a year, you can't you go can't back. Come back. You me. can't come We've back talked to Flint. about that in previous episodes. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's hard. And, but I just, you know, I went and I, I went back and I, I just, my whole mind had been really opened and it, mm-hmm. it just didn't seem, you know, I, I tried for like a year and then my, 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 my mom threw me out and then I just said, okay, um, 
I'm going to go. I had an, I shared an apartment with some guys I knew, um, for a little while. And I was, I was working at the, at the, uh, IMA sports arena and my rent was for my bedroom was $63 a month. And I was like, I'm never going back home or $63 a week was my rent. And so, um, and then eventually I wound up going back to LA. Like I just, I just, I just, I stayed with the guys for a little while. And then this guy that I was seeing in LA, um, was like, why don't you come back home? And I bought a bus ticket and I got on a, on a Greyhound and I went back to LA at 16 and my parents ticket. didn't even, yeah, my parents didn't even know I was gone. Like I was, they, mm. they thought I was still over at this, you know, on the, on the, on the other side of town, on the South side. And I was like in mm. LA by myself and I wound up actually, um, I was, I was, I was a houseless youth for an ex, for mm. like maybe six months. I, you know, like willfully, because I was just like, I'm not going back home. Um, but I lived in, you know, I, I shared space with some, some kids I met in Venice Beach and Hollywood and, you know, did that, did that kind of circuit. And they really introduced me to like community centers where I could like take care of myself and get showers and clean clothes and meals. And, and then I, you know, started following reggae concerts up and down the coast of California and mm -hmm. selling incense on the beach. And I did <laughs> I, doing hair wraps. I was, mm -hmm. you know, cause I'm an artist. So it's like, I'm like, you know, dancing to, you know, I was, I was living my best life. You know, I, you know, went to a, I went to like a Grateful Dead concert in, in San Francisco and learned how to make weed butter in the parking lot. You know, it's like, it was totally opposite of everything I had, everything else I had experienced. Um, and I did that for about about nine about six months and then my aunt someone that my one of my cousin's friends saw me on the beach and told my aunt that I was there and she came and got me she and I was like you up yeah I was like I'm having the time of my life but but what <laughs> but what but what happened was she actually um, so she contacted the my mom and who contacted like the school district and they actually had had marked I hadn't been in school for like six months and they had given me all D's because they didn't want to fail me because they figured mm -hmm. something must be going on for me when to just suddenly disappears just disappears from school mm -hmm. so my my aunt was able to enroll me in a community college in LA as a high school student in mm -hmm. Flint and so I got my high school diploma while I was in community college and I was taking like my my for my freshman classes. Um, so, but I have a, resiliency, but I got, right? <clears throat> that resiliency yeah. is Flint. I yeah. mean, we've talked about in other episodes yeah. how, you yeah. know, people from where we're from have a, a tenacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So fast, let's fast forward a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and talk about, Hey, for example, we just shared, um, a couple days ago in our Facebook group, the, piece the NPR piece oh oh yay and you know I, I, we, I, I, I would love to hear every single detail of how you happened upon every single career we connected for a minute when mm -hmm. I was writing and you were writing mm -hmm. but um, and then you know when we talked again a couple weeks ago we talked about community organizing mm -hmm. and I want to talk about you and, and, and the flint in you that has impact impacted um, the industry that you ended up working in? Wow. Um, great question. So, God, I don't even know how to start. Um, so I had, 
um, I got married really young. I got married at 17 and then, <clears throat> excuse me, I got married at 17 and then I got divorced and it was a really ugly, nasty divorce. Um, and I was working two jobs. I was working two jobs in a mall. Um, I was working at Natural Wonders and I was also working at um, Gap Kids because, you know, 50% discount. You know, single mother, got it. Yeah, it's, you know, that. it's good math. You know, that's that was good mm-hmm. math in my head, um, and I, it wasn't enough. You know, I think you know minimum wage back then was like five twenty oh. five. Yeah. In, in, we're talking about nineteen ninety nineteen ninety three. Um, New York, it was four seventy five. Yeah, I think in LA it was like either three twenty five or five twenty five or something like that. Like it was nothing. And, um, I, I needed to pay, I needed to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. Like really, really s- simply like that's, that's literally what it was. Um, mm-hmm. I actually was looking for some other type of gig. Um, and I, I just, I kept coming up against these, like, you know, these, these advertisements for figure models, which is what they mm-hmm. used to call, um, you know, porn <laughs> back then. And, um, I just, yeah, I mean, and, and it's, I, I first, I turned it, kept turning it down, kept turning it down, kept turning it down, and then there was one day when my son was, he was two years old, and he had a hole in his shoe, and I was like, I was two months behind on my rent, and my rent was like seven seventy five, um, and, and also, like, you know, one of, my aunt had told me I should apply for welfare, and when I went to apply, they told me that I was going to have to move, because my cash grant was only going to be $425 a month and that I would have to find some place to stay that cost less than 400 That's and how I, they get you. And I was like, where am I supposed to live with for $400 a month? Like, I don't understand. And they were, like, telling me about, like, these, you know, oh, there's these other programs that you can, you know, if you can apply for, like, Section 8, but then the Section 8 list was, like, 10 years long or 15 years it was like something mm-hmm. ridiculous and then it was like you know and uh, you know a for, like the you know whatever kind of like community you know the housing programs that they had the wait lists were really long you know they were like oh but you could go into a shelter for like three months with your kids and then we can let you know we can give you a housing voucher faster and i was like i'm not taking my kids in a shelter like are you kidding me like i'm not doing that and you know especially i think because i did grow up in a middle class family I did grow up in a single family home. I did grow up with, you know, it's like like both my my mom, my mom and my stepdad were in a working middle class family. My yeah. my real dad was in like a like a he was uh, he was managerial whereas my stepdad worked in the foundry. So he was like they were on d- two different sides of the tracks, but they were both single family homes, right? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I just grew up in a way where I was like there's no way I'm going to a fucking shelter. Are you kidding me with mm-hmm. my kids? That's- Especially when you don't really have to. When you don't have to. And it was like, you know, and I knew that I couldn't, like, there was, for whatever reason, I felt like I didn't want to ask my aunt and uncle to take my kids and come to their house. But they they had their own kids, and then they also had foster kids that they had taken in. And I think, but there was just some part of me, like, for whatever reason, I never asked them if I could Mm -hmm. come stay with them. And my ex-husband, you know, knew that my parents wanted me to bring the kids and go home, and so he filed a restraining order to keep me in the state to force me to not be able to financially afford to take care of my kids and 
you know, somebody offered me enough money and I was like, well, I'm fucking already, so I might as well, you know what I'm saying, like, why not? Like, you know what I'm saying? Because, because I was already, like, I had, you know, I had somebody that I was seeing and I, you know, a couple, you know, there was, and we were, you know, it was like, whatever, like, I was, I was open, you know what I'm saying? I was open. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that I could make enough money to pay the two months rent that I was already overdue and make more, you know, pay my next month's rent in one shot, I was like, oh, I'm in, I'm in. And all, and the first experience that I had was really dope. So it, you know, it just, it continued after that. I mean, I was really lucky that my experiences were always really good in terms of, for the most part, in terms of the work in the beginning, um, you know, systemic oppression and, oppression and racism aside. But it's like, you know, for the, for the most part, for the most part, you know. All the real stuff. All the real stuff aside. All the real stuff aside. But 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 at the same time, like, I I was able to, um, to, to lift myself out of a really fucked up situation by getting into the business. So, um... Yeah. And I was, and I was also, you know, so yeah, I mean, I was also really fortunate that I had two women who worked in the industry, um, at the time who were, um, they pretty much taught me everything I, everything I needed to know. And they gave me a sense of community and they took care of me and made sure that I knew how to stay safe and, you know, taught me some very basic fundamentals of business that I needed to know, um, in terms of like, you know, you know, bookings and, you know, other types of things. But, um, dancing on six inch heels, you know, like the, the basics. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, just the ability to even do the work, the, the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to get in and up here and I'm going to do what needs to be done to take care of my family, you know, like that came out of Flint, you know, mm-hmm. this is cause, cause it's not a, I don't, I don't think that a lot of people, other people would have been able to make that decision, mm-hmm. you know? And, and not see any way, not see anything wrong with it. And yeah. and you, I think that's something that I have always, um, you know, in the, we became reconnected because of social media. Like mm-hmm. I said before, I don't mm-hmm. know that we would have ever crossed mm-hmm. paths again necessarily um, without it. But yeah. I've been able to observe, you know, the, the bits and pieces that you share on social media. And I, I see that. Um, you guys are frozen. there's there's no shame in your game like you you are authentic mm-hmm. and uh, you know you live it right out loud and I you were frozen for a minute okay did you hear what I said I was saying awesome things about you she was too <laughs> no I did not <laughs> I did not <laughs> I, know, I, was, I was I was just saying that you know there, there's no shame like you don't have you, yeah. you can talk about um, what you do like I can talk about what I do and it's so necessary mm-hmm. it's I so mean, necessary that I mean I I'm really it's easy for me to say that you know when I was in middle school we would get drunk in the parking lot of a homecoming game in the back of a pickup truck, right? Mm-hmm. Drinking Smirnoff Red Label straight out the bottle. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we were all definitely drinking Boone's Farm and <laughs> we were drinking, Farm, like, right. we, were do- know, we were doing all the things. And so if I can easily say, if I can have the same kind of nostalgia, right, about 
those kinds, like everybody who has had those kinds of wild experiences in their youth have very fond memories of those things, right? So why would I, you know, if I can have those kinds of fond memories of that life, imagine just a few years later when someone says, oh, do you want money for doing this thing that you're already doing? You know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. sure. Why not? Why not? Like, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in my game plan. You know, but mm-hmm. of course, absolutely. Like, it was. It was an option that was presented. And the one thing that I learned growing up was to look at the variables, right, mm-hmm. and to look at the options. And this was just another. You know, the the variable for me was how was how am I going to make the money? Mm-hmm. That was the variable. I mean, that's always what it is. I had a good friend mm-hmm. when I lived in Ann Arbor and had just graduated from college who was um, paying for grad school, dancing, mm-hmm. you know, and she, yeah. it was work. It was business. Right. It's work. It's work. It's it's work. And and that's, and I think a lot of people get caught up. Like I, I, I fond, I, you know, I very easily tell people all the time that, um, when they when they call you know sex work in general, regardless of what type of sex work it is, um, the game or the life, and I'm like, no, 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 it's not a game. This is a multi billion dollar industry, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people making a lot of money in this industry, mm. and have been for a really, really long time. I mean, whether it was strip clubs whether it was magazines, there's, you know, porn has hit every type of technology that we have had. You know, people have been, you know, I was, I was having a conversation. Um, I actually, in, I'm, so I'm friend, I'm, I've met a lot of people throughout my life and, you know, one, someone that I consider a friend is Fab Five Freddy from, oh, okay. from UMT, MTV Raps. Mm-hmm. And the first time I was in a, uh, I had one of my films was in a film festival um, in a movie theater right and this was in the in the in the early 2000s he came with me because i was like you're you know he's he's an art historian you know what i mean like he's you know he appreciates all kinds of art and so i invited him with me because i was like yo like i've never seen one of my movies in a theater in a movie theater in a movie theater because because movie theaters were gone by the time i got into the industry and him having been born and raised in new york city it was like i wanted to get his perception being that he was around when there oh, were yeah. movie theaters oh, on Forty Second Street, right? Times exactly, Square, exactly. So imagine, before like, Giuliani came and ruined it all, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so it's like I was like I was like I can't think of somebody else that I would rather have this experience with. You know what I mean? And so, um, but to be able to have that experience with somebody like him, and to be able to be in the theater and and to see where like and and this goes back to what I was just saying, like you know, porn has literally gone from from the from the the girly magazines of like the 40s and 50s to theaters to to VHS tapes in the back of a of your neighborhood you know family uh, vi- video family video store got to go got to go, go through the beaded the beaded the beaded curtain <laughs> yeah but it's like it's gone it's gone through all of these phases and it's like it's like why if if I could have the same kind of nostalgia and if we can you know if young people can have all these kinds of experiences when they're young why not make you know get make a, a safe pathway for people to be able to get into the industry and make money this way as well right so that's the key let's I think yeah. that's something yeah. that we need to talk about the safe pathway 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I was lucky, like I said, I was really lucky because, um, you know, I just happened to come ar- across the right people, right? It was it was very much luck and, and also, you know, timing, you know, just the timing that I got into the industry. Um, and, and also, you know, but, and also just, uh, you know, but, but anyway, it's, you know, over my lifetime, you know, I've always had the right people in my life, you know, even when I had, you know, situations where that I might've gotten into that were not great situations. Like I always had community that I could go back to. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, because I've had, um, you know, my own experiences with companies wanting you to do more than what you were contracted for, or, um, you know, I had, you know, my ex-husband trying to take my kids because I was in porn, you know, like it's just, you know, all of the different things that happen, being paid less money because I'm a black woman, not yeah, having that, as many opportunities because I'm a black woman. That and right so, there, I, I cannot believe, it, it, it was the last thing I said to my wife before I left the house to come here tonight. I want to find out what in the hell, how could even that industry permeate racism yeah i mean and it it's it's um most of the industry is still very much owned by good old boys you know it's like you know we gotta and you gotta remember you know prior to 1988 porn was illegal and so to shoot and so it it only became legal in 1988 there was a, a federal case called the u.s versus freeman and that case made pornography separate from prostitution that was not that long ago we were in grade school right Mm -hmm. and so anything before that because it was illegal a lot of the industry was owned by the mob you know Mm -hmm. um it's still very much a good old boys industry it's very much mostly cis white men who own these Mm -hmm. companies they own the distribution they own the um, the, the production companies they own you know they are the directors um, for the most part they're you know they're hiring people they know you see a lot of black and brown men in the stock rooms you see a lot of you know cis white women and you know and and cis white men in the offices and and you do you know you you know in the, starting in the 90s you started to see a little bit of you know sprinklings of black directors and you know you, you get a few more black folks who you know a few black folks here and there that own companies but for the most part the industry is mostly still owned by white people and so when you have white people deciding what is sexy what is desirable, what is beautiful, what what sex looks like, what, you know, how we identify black people, how we identify other people of color, um, you know, what they, what they, you know, there is an exotic, an, they're exoticizing, you know, people of color in the, in the industry. They're exoticizing, you know, black men and fetishizing black men for their big black dicks their you know or their bbc their big black cocks they're gonna they're gonna put white women in positions where they're being defiled by black men because you know it's it's they're gonna portray these kinds of sexual encounters in in ways that fit stereotypes that they have because that's what they think about us ultimately not you personally sue but you know what i mean it's like me but but you know they you know what i mean it's like that's it's you know because and we're and it's not just the it's not just people of color in the business it's also white women in or white presenting women in the business right it's like because they want you to fit 
into an their idea of what is sexy. That's why for the longest, everything was big blonde, you know, blondes with big tits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. and, and some of that has started to shift. You know, I remember in the 90s when like alt music rose, you started seeing alt looking women also with tattoos and dark hair mm-hmm. and like, you know, edgy looks and images. And it's like, but even when you, when they, when you show, you know, fat women, like their the ways that their bodies are objectified, right? Mm-hmm. Or the way that they are degraded. And we see the same thing with like trans people, the way that they're, they are, you know, they're, they're objectified in such a way, like you can't just put people in scenes together to have great sex. You, even the way that you title it, it has to be in such a way that fetishizes those individuals so that, you know, the person who they are shooting it for, which are other white men, right, mm-hmm. is, is mm-hmm. it's shot in a way and it's presented in a way that allows them to justify their fantasy, whatever that is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, Porn is one of the last great bastions of racism. Racism, you know, <laughs> but but that's because you know porn is a microcosm of the rest of the world. They it's mm-hmm. it's showing people their their innermost fantasies and desires, and a lot of that shit is fucked up. Mm-hmm. Now now I wonder now with all this technology and OnlyFans and all that kind of stuff, how much longer they're gonna have that power. Um, are you, are, digital, is it beginning to fade a little bit? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, you know, back in the ni- in 1999, I launched my first website. And back then, it was, you know, it was all a new frontier. You know, when when Napster came along and people were using it to do peer-to-peer, sh- uh, you know, sharing of not just music, and, but also television, film, mm-hmm. and porn, right? And the porn industry did not get on top of peer-to-peer sharing the way that the music industry did and that was their biggest mistake as a business model you do not let people give away your product for free and they did not get on top of that they did not protect their intellectual property and so that when the tube sites came up like your Pornhub, RedTube, XTube, all of those Xvids you know the, 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 the industry created a generation of uh, consumers who never purchased porn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To this day, we're now on the second generation that has not that thinks that porn is free, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was their first mistake. Because they made that mistake, as technology, you know, kind of like started to 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 grow and shift, and people could take you know photos with this Mm -hmm. as opposed to having to buy like a whole light kit a sony handy cam a you know a canon camera like you know it's without having when as as the barrier to entry became lower um and also you know the you know social media friendster Mm -hmm. myspace black planet back in the day um that moment when social media came up at the same time that we were getting this, like an iPhone, what happened at that moment was we had a pathway to sell direct to consumer, right? You didn't have to deal with the um, with 
a middleman anymore. You, I mean, you, you did for a while. But the, the need for the middleman, the need for the studio system, began to deteriorate at that moment. So now we have, um, you know, it used to be that you'd shoot for a company, you'd want to be on the box cover, because then you would go to a feature dance agency, they would book you on a tour of strip clubs, and you needed the box cover for posters mm-hmm. and for 8 by 10 so you would sign them, you know, and, and the, the box covers was what gave you the, 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 the walkway, right, to go into the club as a, as a headliner. Strip clubs are a non-factor these days to the bigger to the bigger industry, right? It's it's not as much of a of an impact on the porn industry as it used to, and so now it's like you have instead of the box cover, you have Instagram. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Instagram mm-hmm. is your box cover now. Um, you don't because you don't tour. You might do, you know, there, there are people who are still touring. They're not touring clubs, but they may tour, like, as an escort instead. They've cut out the middleman. Instead of giving this guy a lap dance, I could just see him in my hotel, you know, for mm-hmm. however much money. Like, it's, the, the business model has changed. We've steadily disintegrate. We're starting to disintegrate the need for the middleman, which means mm-hmm. that ultimately the talent keeps all the money, right? So, and the and, and the power, and they get to have more autonomy over their body, over the type of sex they get to have, over the way that they're described. They don't have to deal with somebody calling them some, you know, like big, big ghetto, ghetto hose number five. Like it's like they get to choose how they are, you know, even described. Like, do you know what I mean? It's because they get to brand themselves in ways that the companies might not have considered branding them because we're they're looking at talent from a very linear, often racist point of view, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and now what's, you know, with the ways that like OnlyFans and some of these other platforms have started, have come up, you know, the, the, the thing that is, that's so important about that is that the, the barrier to entry is lower. Right when I had my first website in 1999, I was I easily had two three thousand dollar like you know hosting bills just for my bandwidth and my storage. Now OnlyFans takes twenty percent. Do you know what I'm saying? And so it's like instead of me having to put out all this money up front that I may not get back, you know, in terms of like subscribers and and uh, you know people spending money. I can just I can just pay them and I let them deal with the credit card processing, let them deal with the mm-hmm. chargebacks, let them deal with all of the all of that stuff and I get to and I still get to make money. And so like and this is great as a business model for for not just people like me who have been in the business and have a following and have the ability to scale on these sites, but it's also good for people who are who have no jobs who live in communities where there are no jobs, who are dealing with houselessness, who are trying to pay for motels every night, people who are trying to keep a roof over their kids' heads, people who, you know, can't find jobs because they have a criminal record, right? It's, you know, or they, you know, it's like there's, there's, they, or they lost their job because of COVID or they're being underpaid in their job that they do have and they're still not able to pay their rent. You know what I'm saying? It's like instead of working 2.5 jobs, they can work one job and also, you know, put up pictures on or videos on OnlyFans. You know what I'm saying? And so it's and it's allowed a lot of people like, you know, especially for people who have who have been are used to working in cash based businesses, 
you know, you get a 1099. And that 1099 yeah. is really important if you want, like, housing, mm-hmm. you know, or access to government services, you know, because you can't, you know, if you don't have uh, a pay stub to prove your income, they're going to make it even harder for you to even get food stamps, you know. Now, and when, so- you, when, when you talk to people about these kinds of things, because I know you do, yeah, is it hard for them to shift their way of thinking? Because no. No, not, not at all. I think that there's a lot of there. There are a few people I think who are willfully obtuse when it comes to this sort of thing. Right? Willfully, willfully, because there are some people who really just want to believe that it's just because you just like getting fucked. And it's like, well, everybody likes everybody who enjoys sex do it because they like doing it. Right. It's the reason why we still have a population, because the shit is fun and it feels really good. Right. If it wasn't a good time, there'd be no kids. No, like, you know, because because labor is a bitch. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if it didn't feel good, we wouldn't be having we would you know, women would be like, fuck this shit. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like it's but it's like that's that's not it. Nobody wants to work. You know what I'm saying? Like nobody wants to have to go to their job. Like we if we all could just like live freely and, you know, have a good night's sleep and hang out with our with our families and go to the beach every day like that would that would be ideal for most people like do you know what i'm saying but we're all going to do some sort of labor and at least if you can find work that you enjoy and will pay you enough to live right that is those are the two things that are most important you know we always say like if you know there's that saying if you you know find something that you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life mm-hmm. why why the fuck not this you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what what is what is your time frame on no studio studio porn being dead? Because it's gonna be. I don't, I don't know. I I don't know that I don't know what a timeline would look like. Um, you know, a lot of these companies are you know they're they've been around a long time, um, and and as they are they're finally starting to get it that they need to like make some changes. Um, you know, and I don't. I don't know that they will ever die. Um, my hope is that, and and I hope that they don't, because we need companies like that who have big money to be able to fight for like censor against censorship, to to help you know to help pay for lobbyists to be able to push mm-hmm. through legislation. I mean, like we need people like that. We need companies like that. Um, my hope is that these companies that that you know myself and some other folks that I work with that you know collectively we can we can push them to make changes so that as younger you know black and brown and cutie pop folks that come into the industry that they are able to navigate the work safely right and without having to deal with the everyday microaggressions that they are dealing with while they're also simultaneously having sex with people that they don't know most of the time Mm -hmm. you know um you know Mm -hmm. we need to be able to make it to where when people do this work they are you know that there's you know where that they're not subjected to a, a blow bang with five guys in confederate flag t-shirts like do you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. as a young black woman that there there aren't companies like ghetto gaggers where they're flying young women across country with you know and and taking them directly to the studio in you know from the airport from an overnight flight with no hotel and then putting them in compromising situations to where they feel like they can't 
say no to this scene that they're about to do. Like, do you know what I'm saying? It's like we need, you know, we need to make sure that white women are not being paid more money than black women for doing the exact same labor, often with the exact same men, right? Mm -hmm. It's like simply because it's a black guy. And so, you know, like things like that, you know, need to change so that when some 18-year-old shows up from Kansas or Tennessee or Detroit or D.C. or Chicago or Florida, that they're not coming into the industry into some bullshit. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that, that for me is like the most important thing because a lot of times people are not coming they're, they're, sometimes you get, you know, more like more and more every day we're starting to get people who are coming into the business through sites like OnlyFans, right? Mm-hmm. So that's good because those people, it's good and bad because those people won't go through that studio system bullshit, but there's also room for um, exploitation in, in other ways because they're also not coming in through the studio system. Mm-hmm. So those people may not know about, like, HIV and, and STI testing every two weeks. They may not know about maintaining IDs and paperwork to keep them, to protect themselves from, you know, like from, you know, if somebody decided to like, you know, come show up and knock on their door because they want to see the IDs of the people that were in those scenes. Like, do you know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's, it's kind of good and bad that we've lowered the barrier, but we need to make the main business safe because that's going to create a, a ripple effect with everything else. This strongly worded podcast is brought to you in part by the Flagler County Basketball Program. For high quality, community based youth basketball for young people ages 8 to 18, look no further than the Flagler County Hurricanes. Enrolling now for spring season with games starting on March 20th. We still have openings across all divisions. For more information, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or go to flaglerhurricanes.com. So um, I, I know we're getting closer to the end of our our scheduled time, but I, I can't, like, you and I are the same age. Yeah. So um, I, I, where, like, what are you doing now? Where are you now? And I, are you, Yeah. what, what do women, what do we do in, in this industry as we mature? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there are people who are still performing like Nina Hartley has, is in her sixties and she's been performing since the seventies. Um, mm-hmm. you know, she's over 60, like she's over 65, I know. Um, but you know, for me personally, like I have always, you know, and I know people who say that they'll do it until they just can't, you know, they're, they're they have no no plan to leave. Not because they don't, you know, they have an exit strategy, but they continue. They plan to continue to do this kind of work. And for me personally, like I'm I'm at a stage. I've been doing it for 26 years, and now I'm I'm starting to look at transitioning um, out of the business, but still wanting to work within the industry. Um, I'm planning to buy a house back home in Flint. Mm-hmm. I want to be close to my mom and my sisters. Um, and as I get older, I want I want my my farm, and I want to be able to like you know I want my I want my farm with a with a lake you know a little pond and a pool in the back and some horses, um, you know I want to take it back. But um, one of the things that's really important to me, I know I've been working with since last year. I started this organization called the BIPOC Adult Industry Collective. Yes. 
and it's um, BIPOC is the is black and stands for Black Indigenous and People of Color for those who don't know, um, and we've been working on this issue of racism and wage disparity by offering people um, uh, by offering you know peer to peer education, um, access to mental health and wellness, um, and and also uh, financial assistance. So we give out three $500 microgrants every month. Um, we, we had, when we were first talking about the microgrants, we were trying to debate if we wanted to do like $1050 grants, or, but we decided that we would give out a smaller number of larger grants because the larger grants can make more of an impact for people. Um, and so we, and we're, you know, we also, you know, we started fundraising during COVID because um, the when the pandemic unemployment uh, benefits came out, they sp- explicitly wrote out anyone in you know any companies or people in the sex industry and also people who work online. So um, you know, legal sex workers who were working online were were exempt, and um, so we started funding to you know because a lot of folks who were working in, in person doing either full service sex work or dominatrix work or people who are working on the streets. Um, just they didn't really have an option to a lot of people didn't have the option to work and so um, you know understanding that not everybody you know people don't work in the industry in a binary where it's like they only do one or the other a lot of people do both Um, we decided that we wanted to specifically offer some assistance to people who you know work as content creators and are performers in the industry and um, so we started doing that and then we said you know everybody's fundraising so we started doing these events where we could do um, you know offer people education that they needed to be able to make money um, or also to be to, to be safe um, we had we've had conversations on and when I say safe I mean like not you know things conversations around consent um, contract negotiations we've done things on navigating race and you know gender and sexuality um, within the work um, things like that that are really important to people's mental, emotional, um, and psychological health, um, but also things like you know OnlyFans 101 and content creation and, and you know scheduling social social media management and things like that are more pro- practical skills also to help people be able to um, to work and make money. Um, so we started doing those things and then we offer a, a restorative yoga class every week for for sex workers for free and we it's sponsored by Ray Threat. Um, and we also have these uh, a support group that we offer every week for stress management as well. And so we're really trying to take care of, um, you know, before we can really attack the, some of the more systemic issues with agents and companies and things like that, we wanted to make sure that we could take care of the people first. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, asking people and, you know, some, asking people to strike is really challenging when people are out of work and cannot mm-hmm. and need to pay their bills, right? And so, um, you know, you never want to put people in the position of being, um, a, you know, of crossing the picket line, basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And, yeah. you know, in an industry that, I mean, there is a, a, a union that's been in existence for a couple of years, but not everybody is a member of the union, right? Because um, we're all freelancers. So there's there's no, there's not, it's, there's, there's, it's not a big unified, you, you know, uh, voice for everyone in the industry, and so you know it's hard to get pe- to convince people that they don't that they shouldn't work 
for these companies or these platforms until they change their way. That's a privilege that only, you know, only a small percentage of people can do because they either have the clout or the money to be able to not work. Um, and, and so it was really important that before we start dealing with some of these other issues that we, we took care of the people and, you know, we've been doing some really like powerful work. I mean, we have two of our members, they, one of the, one of our grantees, um, is a pregnant, um, a pregnant sex, an immunocompromised pregnant sex worker with a small child. And she was looking not only for financial assistance, but also for diapers. And, um, and so two of our community members, each of them took on, you know, a set of diapers, one for the newborn or for the unborn child and one for the other child so that they could just on a monthly basis, just automatically send them to her. And, you know, Mm. we've, you know, we've been able to give money to two people who were looking for money for um, gender confirmation surgery, you know, quite a few people who are houseless um, or home free that needed money. Um, someone who needed to get a, you know, was looking to buy camera equipment, not only for their own content creation, but also for other people in their community that they wanted to help with shooting content. And, um, you know, they're just really trying to do the work of making sure that the community can be taken care of. Um, because when you, when you fill the gaps where people are vulnerable, they're less likely to experience exploitation of any kind. Right. Yeah, because you, you're not as desperate. Right. Because you're not as desperate. And so it's like, you know, if if we can help somebody to, you know, to be able to pay rent, then maybe they won't take a gig that where they have to do something that they might not have wanted to do mm-hmm. otherwise. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because that happens, you know, or. Um, and you know, we you give people you give people the opportunity to make sound decisions when you can when you can help them, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so and that 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 for me is it. Like I'm I'm super like I love this work. I don't get paid for it. I put in like forty plus hours a week, um, you know, making sure that we can that we can do it. In addition to like doing my own content creation for my my own OnlyFans and you know Sex Panther mm-hmm. and talking to people, talking dirty to people on the phone. Um, but this, you know, I feel like this is, you know, service is the rent that we owe for living on this earth. And, Absolutely. you know, this industry for 26 years has raised me and it's raised my kids and it's helped me to be able to go to school and travel around the world. And, um, you know, it helped me to lift myself out of, out of poverty, you know. And so, and I, I know that, that, you know, legal sex sex work in general but particularly legal sex work because of the access that it gives you has the potential to li- to to give people economic li- liberation whether you are a black or brown person m- male female trans or whether you are um white and from the you know from a poor you know community and mm-hmm. you know community union town that is no more a factory town that is no more um, it really has an opportunity to lift people out of poverty, and I think that, you know, the some of the issues surrounding like decriminalization and the you know the fear of black men, black and brown men, the same reasons why you know why the war on drugs, the war on sex, they're they're aligned with each other. Um, you know, the racism that is behind the war on drugs is a lot of that has to do with with the laws that were uh, with um, cannabis prohibition. Uh, a lot of that had to do with the you know the fear of of white slavery with the man act like these two things are married to each other mm-hmm. um 
and so you know it's you know while I'm also doing this kind of community work I'm also you know very much advocating for and trying to find ways to get involved with with you know legislation and decriminalization because um, you know Angela Davis said in a in an inter in several interviews actually that you know the the increased population of black black and brown women in prisons is mostly because of um, of, of arrest for prostitution and so you know it's it's a it's a way to be able to um, you know to incarcerate black and brown women and, and trans women and so for me it's like you know because I know that most of the people I know work in both both criminalized and legal forms of the industry you know I feel a you know very strong offended you know and, and also like I mean I've been working in, in um, criminalized forms of the industry for most of my career and as well as the legal industry and you know I I recognize that we have to we, we have we have to dismantle this false hierarchy and allow people to be able to you know have people like myself companies like your your big companies your your vivids your only fans like they have to be able to reach across the aisle and make sure that the the most vulnerable um of, in the community are also provided for like plain and simple you know this the internet mm -hmm. is forever there are you know there there are <laughs> Not that right. you know there's there's That's video right. yeah i mean there's videos i just i just did a film screening um two weekends ago with Jeannie pepper who's an a, an old friend of mine who came into the industry in the early 80s and you know there we found videos of hers online on a tube site mm -hmm. you know videos sure. videos from the, yeah. the late 80s and so it's like mm -hmm. you know it's because of that and, and a lot of people don't know like in porn you don't get it we don't get residuals and mm -hmm. so you know you don't get wow. residuals you're mm -hmm. paid a one-time fee you know and then you're paid less money if you are a person of color than your white counterparts so there's there's no room for like saving um, there's mm -hmm. no 401k, there's no Roth IRA, you know, and, and yet your image is out there forever. And so, mm -hmm. you know, for me, a lot of the things that we're fighting for from decrim to, um, you know, fair wages, these are workers' rights issues, right? Mm -hmm. And as, you know, as a, you know, a kid who grew up in a union family, like fighting for workers' rights is like a part of, it's in my bloodline, you know? Like mm -hmm. I remember my, my folks striking and being mm -hmm. on picket lines and so you know we may not be on digital pick you know picket lines but we can still you know make sure that people eat up you know eat right you know we can make sure that people have housing um yeah yeah so it's so it's only fair it is yeah. it is and i think that's a good full circle <laughs> point yeah. um to end on and i i so appreciate yeah. you being a guest on the show and sharing yourself with us. And um, I'm really glad I sent that message that day. Yeah, it's been of course, awesome to reconnect. Of course. I was so excited. Yeah. I was like, Sue takes, Sue course. takes the chances. I was like, I was like, of course, yeah. absolutely. I was like, we, mm -hmm. we went to school together. Like, of course mm -hmm. we're going to do this. Like, That's so <laughs> awesome. you know, I know you get pulled in a lot of different directions and I never wanted you to think that I was, you know, no, reaching okay. out to do something salacious or whatever, but I... No, no, um, no. I I knew, I just knew that it wasn't going to be something salacious and, you know, yeah. I have a good... Have, That's next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have, I have good sacral energy, so I know, yeah. I, you know, my, I go with my gut. I know. Yeah. I, I knew it was Well, thank you time. for your time. Well, of Cinnamon, course. thank you very yes. much for, for spending the evening with us tonight on a Monday night. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Uh, you can find more about the Strongly Worded Podcast. You can find our Facebook group, the Strongly Worded Pod group. We're on Instagram at the Strongly Worded Pod and on Twitter, <laughs> the Strongly Worded P. All right, Cinnamon, thank you so much. Yes, um, yes, thank you. Good night. Good night. Take care. Good night. Stay in touch. Yes. Bye bye. This Strongly Worded podcast is written and produced by Johnny Hampton and Sue O'Lear. Music production and vocals 